Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we will look at various themes that are universal to the human experience. Each week, we will take a different theme and examine a single or several different stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I hope you enjoy. Uh, And with that, let us move forward in our worship with our first scripture reading, uh, which comes to us from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. Hear, my child, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. The word of the Lord. How's everybody doing today? Good? We missed you guys, a lot of you, last week. It was, uh, it was a smaller service, let's put it that way. <laughs> so our second scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of the Lord. We are doing a sermon series during the spring and summer that is called Through a Mirror Darkly. This is based on the verse from 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where Paul says, For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I explained last time, uh, last week, and I'll explain it to you again, this idea of looking into a mirror darkly, it actually comes from ancient mirrors, and when they would pour the silver into them, 
they usually had impurities in them. And so when you looked into the mirror, it was very cloudy. You couldn't actually see your face. And so it looked like you were looking at a likeness of yourself, not the full person. And so the idea behind this series is that we're going to be looking at themes that are universal to the human experience. And so each week, we're going to start with stories from different people around the world. And these stories are going to come from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I don't know how many of you have heard of Humans of New York, but it was created by a man named Brandon Stanton. If you were not here last week, I gave a whole history behind him. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, I'll give you just a brief little update on who he is. He is a uh, photographer who goes around New York City, and he will take a photo of an individual, and then he does a brief interview with them. Now, sometimes that interview is very surface level, but a lot of times he's able to elicit these very personal, deep interviews that people get very vulnerable with him, and they talk about things that are going on in their lives. And I've loved these since 2012. I've started collecting them together, and so that's going to be the basis of the series. Each week, we're going to look at these stories, and then we're going to dig down into the theme. Now, Given that this is New York City, I just want to say this so we're all on the same page. The fact is, New York City is a very culturally diverse place. It's a little bit like Chicago, but even more so. So a lot of the people who you're going to see in these stories, they come from very different backgrounds than most of the people in this congregation. And so as a result, I don't want you to sit there and say, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. It does, because these people, what they're going through, they mirror your own experiences in your life. So each week, we're going to start with a video. In that video, you're going to see photos that he took, and then you're going to hear it narrated by members of our congregation, the interview that he went through with those people. And then from there, we dive into the sermon. And the goal of the series is that as you hear these experiences, I hope that they will relate to experiences you have had in your own life, and that that will cause you to reflect on how you act in the world and how you can be different and be a better Christian. Yes? Sounds good? Okay, good. So we're going to start with our video for the stories for today. We teach that education is a great privilege that can lead anywhere, but sometimes I worry that I might be selling them a dream. So I try to teach them what's possible, but also what's real. They need to learn that hard work leads to success, but I also tell them that they might need to be a bit more patient than others. Sometimes they ask hard questions and I try to answer as honestly as possible. A few weeks ago, I was teaching a lesson about segregation and one of my students raised his hand. He said, if segregation is over, then why are there only black kids at our school? I decided to become a teacher because I knew what it was like to grow up poor and I wanted to help kids in similar circumstances. I didn't expect it to be easy but I guess I thought there'd be only one or two kids acting up in class and everyone else would be paying attention. Instead, it's only one or two kids who actually behave. I'm drained every day. I've been teaching for 13 years and if it wasn't for summer break, I'd have quit already. 40% of my job rating is based on standardized testing. It's the only job I know where your performance is based on how other people behave. I can't control what's going on outside my classroom. I can't control if my kids are from abusive households or don't eat breakfast or can't get to school on time. But those things affect my rating when they show up in test scores. I need to find a new career where my performance is based on me. I wanna be a positive male influence in their lives. 
We're big on building foundations. I tell them, there's not going to be a switch that flips once you become an adult and suddenly you start acting right. Every decision you make matters. Because once you're older, you're going to revert back to the same behavior you have right now. If you have a foundation of rudeness, dishonesty, and not caring, that's what you'll fall back on when you're faced with a challenge. So we need to build a foundation of character. That's the grandmaster in the back. He doesn't speak much English. He was number one in China back in 1980, so I knew of his name long before I met him. He's very humble, a true gentleman fighter. He's 68, but I've seen him put a spear against his neck and use it to push a car. So at what point can you call yourself a grandmaster? A grandmaster doesn't say he's a grandmaster. Other people say it for him. My students are going to need education to advocate for themselves. They need to understand the law so they know if it's being applied to them fairly. They need to understand the services they deserve so they know if they're receiving them. They even need to be educated about simple things like fresh fruit. There isn't any fresh fruit in the stores around here and they think that's normal. They need to know that's not normal and that they deserve fresh fruit. All right, so the theme that connects all of these various people together is that they are all role models to the younger generation. We heard from three teachers, one coach, and then the student of a grandmaster. We're gonna set the coach and the grandmaster aside for a moment. We're gonna focus on the teachers. We got any teachers in here? Former teachers, a uh, number of them. Okay, now I'm gonna put out a guess here. You tell me if I'm right. I would assume that most people who get into teaching do so because A, they want to help kids learn, and B, they want to help kids reach their potential as human beings. Is that true? Okay, I would say so, right? I think that's why most people do it. Now, when I was growing up, the teachers who taught my generation, there was a very specific line that they did not cross. They did not get into your personal life. They were not concerned with your personal life. In fact, their job, at least the teachers who I had, their job was to teach you, and they were told to ignore what was going on at home. I think that was specifically what they were taught. And so when I was in school, my teachers did not know about what was happening in my house. They didn't know what was happening in the houses of my peers, many of whom were coming from homes where they were really struggling. They were going through a lot of difficult times. So, what I knew of teachers when I was growing up was they teach you lessons in school, they give you homework to reinforce those lessons, and then they periodically test your knowledge. If you didn't do well on the homework or you didn't do well on the test, that was your problem. Ultimately, they might sit there and say, hey, you could use a tutor. That might be very helpful for you. But at the end of the day, they weren't going to get much further than that. And I kind of accepted that as the norm for a long time. And the one time, though, that I really sat back and I thought, you know what, I don't know if this really makes sense, was when I was a senior in high school. So a senior in high school, I'm taking AP Biology, and it was the end of the year, we're about to graduate, and you all remember, I mean, I think we have some people who probably just graduated in here. Do you remember, like, what it was like at the end of high school when you're, like, going through and you got, like, six weeks left and you just can't wait to be done, right? So that's where I was, and she's still giving out assignments, and I was like, okay, you got to get this done. So I didn't understand what she was asking us to do. So I go to her classroom. It's the end of the day, and she's got this freshman biology class, and I walk in, and what I see is that she's just handed back the grades 
on a project. And so I'm going up to her, and I'm going to ask her my question. And right before I get there, this one student comes up, and she's got tears in her eyes. And she says, why did you give me a zero on this project? I worked really hard to make this good for you. And the teacher just looked at her and said, well, if you don't follow the directions, I can't give you credit for it. You know, I gave you instructions. You didn't do it. So she turned around, walked back to her desk. Her head was hung low. And she sat down, and she just kept crying at her desk. Now, some of you may be sitting there, and you may be sitting, well, Alex, that's the way it goes, right? I mean, if you don't follow the instructions, what do you expect? Like, she can't give you credit for doing the wrong thing, right? But if you'd been there, you could have told a couple of different things about this girl. You would have seen a couple of different things that was going on with her. So one of the first things you would have noticed if you were really looking at her is you would have been able to tell that her clothes were very dirty. She was not a well-kept person. The other thing you would have been able to notice about her is that she was unnaturally thin. She was super malnourished. So clearly she came from a home where she wasn't being taken care of properly. So on top of that, you would have been able to sit there and see in her eyes something very specific. That when she was saying to the teacher, I worked really hard on this, what she was saying was, I don't have any support at home and I did the best that I could to get this together for you the way I knew how, which is probably how she's always had to operate in her life. Now, I didn't sit down with her. I didn't have a conversation with this girl to say, hey, lay all this out for me. Where are you from, right? Like, I didn't do any of that. This whole interaction lasted 20 seconds, maybe. So I come in. I see this happen. I ask my question. I leave. But in that 20 seconds, I was able to tell a lot about what was going on with this girl because I was paying attention for it. And I think the reason why this particular incident has stuck with me all of these years is because I feel like that my biology teacher missed an important opportunity. Because it's clear that this girl, she wanted to do well. She was working hard. She was trying to do her very best to get through. She wanted to prove to her teacher that she was capable, but she was missing something. And I can't help but think that if she had just taken a little bit of time, just a moment to sit down and say, hey, what's going on with your life? What's going on at home? Can we talk about this for a minute? Just tell me, just to show a little bit of care. She would have understood that this girl is trying really hard in spite of really difficult circumstances. And I think if she had understood all that, then she actually might have been able to figure out a way for this young girl to actually be successful and fill in the gaps. But as it was, she didn't want to hear about her background, and she treated all her students as if they were equal, meaning that she treated all of them as if they had the same resources. And that's not true. In my school in particular, that was not true. There was a wide range of resources going on in that school. And so we think about equality, right? We say, treat everybody equally. The truth is, everybody is not equal. We come from different backgrounds and different places. Now, I have spoken to many teachers in this congregation. Many of you who raise your hand, we've had conversations about teaching. And what I've really been impressed with is that many of you all who I've spoken to, this is not your way of approaching teaching that in fact you do care about the lives of your students and that you actually see what they're going through as having a really big impact on meeting their potential as a student. You don't just see your job as imparting knowledge, you see your job as caring about the lives of your students. And what's even cooler than that is that many of you, when you talk about a student who is struggling, 
who's kind of like a ship on a stormy sea, you see yourself as a lighthouse to that child. Now, what is a lighthouse? A lighthouse is one of these big structures that's either on the shore or out in the sea that's there to warn ships that there's danger ahead, right? And so the whole point of a lighthouse is that it's trying to help the ship navigate so it doesn't wreck and sink into the sea. And I think that's exactly what many teachers today are trying to do for their students. They're trying to be lighthouses to them so that they don't wreck and sink into the sea. And this is exactly what you saw from many of these stories in Humans of New York. Those teachers are amazing, right? I mean, those teachers, they, they can see. Their kids don't come from great households sometimes. They don't have a ton of resources. And so they're trying to keep it so that they don't sink into the sea. So let's take a look at a few of those. The first one I want to look at is her. So I love this woman because her whole goal, she's like, I'm not just here to teach them about school. I'm here to teach them about life. And so she talked about a couple of different things. She talked about these kids need to know the law. And they also need to know things like, what, what was the big thing? The grocery store, you remember? So she talked about how she's like, now, around here, if you go to a grocery store, what are you going to find if you go to Jewel? Are you going to find fresh fruits and produce? Yeah, absolutely you are. If you didn't, you'd be like, hey, what happened to everything, right? But in poor neighborhoods, that is very often not the case. Those are called food deserts. And you go into a grocery store, there is no fresh produce in there. So she wants those kids to know, hey, you need to understand that that's not normal and that you need those things in your life if you're going to be able to succeed. So she doesn't just want to teach them book knowledge. She wants to teach them how to survive in life. Now, that's different, isn't it? Like, if you, if, when you train to be a teacher, how many of you trained to do that? You trained to teach lessons, right? You weren't training for that side of things. So being a lighthouse is hard. And you try to do your best. So we see that this male teacher right here, right, he's talking about how he wants to be an inspiration to these kids, but he also doesn't want to sell them a pipe dream. He wants them to understand that they need to be realistic about what they can achieve because it's hard to rise out of poverty. It's hard to get past those barriers. If we think about it in terms of the lighthouse analogy, let's go back to that for a second. Okay, these kids, they're in a storm on the sea, right? And the thing's shaking, and they have their teacher who is this lighthouse who's trying to get them into shore as best they can, but they got these leaks in their boat, and the waves are crashing in on them, and it's hard because they might not make it in. And when you're in that situation, you're trying not to lose hope. You're trying to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to make it, right? But sometimes you do lose hope, which is what happened to this teacher right here. So she grew up poor, and she wanted to give back to kids who grew up in her particular situation. But she was talking about how it's challenging, right? I mean, she wants these kids to be successful, doesn't she? But now that she's there, what is she dealing with most of the time? Remember what she said? She's dealing mostly with disciplinary issues. So for her, it's hard because her rating is based on that. And she's trying to do her best with it, but it's wearing her down every day. And she wonders if she's even making any impact on these students at all. Now, when I look at these three teachers and we put them together, it reminds me of what we read from Proverbs. Let's take a look at that one more time. Hear my child and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her.
for she is your life. All right, we talked about wisdom last week. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to real-life circumstances. That's what it's about. That's wisdom. So these teachers, they're not just trying to teach them knowledge, book knowledge, right? They're trying to impart wisdom of how you navigate through life. But I think one of the reasons why these teachers are getting so exacerbated and worn down is because I do think that the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. I think we are now placing too much of a burden on the shoulders of teachers to save these kids who are at risk. We're saying nobody else is going to do it, so it's got to be you. And the truth is, they cannot do that. One person, if you've ever talked to a teacher and they're working with 25 or 30 kids in a class, that's not possible. You cannot expect a teacher to be able to do that. A person needs many role models in their lives. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about how there's one body, but many members. And what's he getting at? He's saying, hey, every single person plays a role. Everybody plays a role, and everybody makes a contribution. So this is what he says. As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the heads of the feet, I have no need of you. The truth is, in order for the church to function, we need every single person to make a contribution. It takes the gifts of every person in here to push the church forward and to support the church. If we just allow only a few people to do this, the church is going to fail, friends. We can't make it. And the same is true for lighthouses. The same is true for lighthouses. So if you're on a stormy sea and you're trying to make it in to shore, and you have one lighthouse guiding your way, are you going to make it? Well, yeah, you can, but it's hard, right? But what if you have many lighthouses around you? You can more easily see the shore, and your likelihood of survival goes way up. The truth is, we all need multiple role models in our lives. We need to have many people who are there to inspire and guide us to be the best of who we can be. And the truth is, for most of you in this room, you didn't just have one person who guided you. You had many, many people who came around you, lifted you up, and propelled you to become the person who you are today. You had a lot of people who made you successful. You wouldn't be as successful as you are if it wasn't for those people. And it's not just teachers. It's also coaches. How many people in here did sports when they were young? Okay. Were those coaches important to you? No? I guess, uh, I guess not, huh? <laughs> For some people, they're like, no, not really. <laughs> now, I can tell you that for me, my coaches were very important to me. I was a swimmer, and I actually got in, and I was a Division I athlete when I swam in college. Had it not been for those coaches who gave me the strength of character and work ethic, I wouldn't have had the work ethic to be able to do what I've done in my life. But it's not just coaches. Sometimes you can just be around parents of your friends. You go over to a friend's house, and that parent can be there for you. I know a lot of people who like that. Who knows, maybe even a pastor once in a while is an inspiration. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying like all of us in here, but you know, some of us. <laughs> I once heard a pastor say 
This was a long time ago. I was like a teenager when I heard this sermon, but it always stuck with me. He said that there's an average of seven people who look up to you. Seven people who look up to you. Now, you may not realize that they feel that way about you, but there are always people who are looking to you for guidance, and that's why it's important that we always try to be our very best. And that's kind of like what we're looking at with the story of the Grand Master, which is probably my favorite story of the ones that we heard. So, remember Brandon, he asks this guy, the student, he says, when do you get to call yourself a Grand Master? And what does he say? He says, a Grand Master never says he's a Grand Master. Other people say it for him. Now, I've been waiting for TC to call me a Grand Master <laughs> for a long time. But he hasn't quite done I know he feels that way about me. I know he feels it. But he's just never said it to me before. But that's the thing. If you're a role model, you don't have to say, I'm a role model. You know it. People know it about you, right? And you may not want to be a role model. You may be sitting there saying, hey, people shouldn't be following me around. I'll tell you that much. But the fact is, people do. And so you always have to be aware of the people who are around you who are looking to you for guidance in their lives. Because the truth is, and this is so true, what we got to, and I'm sorry we had to read the whole scripture, but the, the end is so critical, what Paul says here. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. If there is a member of our community who is suffering and struggling, it is our job to intervene. We cannot be like my biology teacher. We cannot ignore what's going on and say, oh, well, I can't care about their lives. No, 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 no. We are here to be there for those who struggle. We are there to be the lighthouse that guides them back into shore. We're the ones who provide the foundation so that they can reach their potential. And so as I end this morning, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that it is our Christian duty to care about the lives of those in this congregation. If you're looking around this room and you don't know about what's going on in the people in this room, you should. You need to take the time to get to know each other and know about each other's lives. The responsibility of being a lighthouse falls on all of us. Falls on all of us. And if you sit here and you're saying, you know what, that's not really me, that's fine. Be a support to those who feel that it is their responsibility. God calls on us to either lead or support, but doing nothing, that's not an option. We cannot abdicate our responsibility and say, I hope somebody else comes along and helps that person. No, you are that somebody. And if you have been the beneficiary of lighthouses in your life who have guided you and shaped you into the person who you are today, then it is incumbent upon you to be a lighthouse for other people. We cannot allow the responsibility of guiding the next generation to fall on the shoulders of a few. Because otherwise, if we do, it's going to be bad. We all have to work together. You have been the beneficiary of many people who have been there for you, and therefore we must be part of the many who will help guide the next generation. And by the way, you don't have to go far to do that. You can do that right here in this church. There are so many opportunities to work with children. You can do it through our children's ministry. You can do it through our youth ministry, through VBS, Vacation Bible School. Katie, you still need somebody? Yeah? All right. She still needs somebody to work. What do you need? What are you, what are you looking for again? 
All right, Bible station leader helper, Mission Factory, which was another thing I was going to say. You can do it there. You can do it at family night. There are so many different ways that you can be involved and you can be a lighthouse to the next generation. All you have to be willing to do is allow your light to shine for others to see it. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org. For more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.